Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. I want to, this evening, conclude um, the spiritual journey of a godly man. Over the past few weeks, both online and as a people gathered, we have been looking at the incredible book of Habakkuk, and all of, and everything is available on podcast. We have seen, amongst other things, that God is concerned and He confronts ambition, covetousness, ruthlessness, debauchery, hedonism, and idolatry, both in the godless and in the people of God. Also, we have asked the questions, tone, what does God sound like in our heads? Truth, whatever the hard thing he may be asking or saying to you and I, he never lies. And trust, in the end, what is it that we actually believe about God? What we actually believe will then form our trust or not. And so today we conclude. I want to read the, the last four verses of Habakkuk chapter three, and he says these words. I hear and I tremble within. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, and my steps tremble beneath me. I wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord." I will exalt in the Lord, the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights to the leader with stringed instruments. So we come to the end of this journey. We come to the end of this book. And we must ask the question, what has happened to this guy this is the man who at the beginning of the book, beginning of the journey with God, he's saying, why are you allowing these things to happen? He was quite aggressive. He was, as it were, we would use the phrase, he was in God's face. He says, where are you when troubles hit us? Why are you allowing godlessness to prosper within the people of God, and why aren't you intervening? In other words, where are you, God, and what are you doing? God tells him judgment is on its way via the... Chaldeans or the Babylonians as they're also known. And Habakkuk responds by saying, that's not fair. How can you possibly use people that are less godly than those you are judging to judge them? And God again explains to him his reasoning. And Habakkuk once again pushes back. And then we suddenly arrive in verse 17. We'll read it two or three times this evening. It says, though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exalt in the God of my salvation. Something incredible has happened over this passage of time. As I said at the start, he was angry, he was confused, he was questioning and having a right old argument with God. But at the end, he says, no matter what happens, I 
will praise you. Something profound has taken place. And I believe that this is a journey most of us would like to take. Those of us who are caught up in the uncertainties of life, who are hit by the storms of life in unexpected ways, I believe most Christians, most followers of Christ, want to get through storms of life still trusting Him. That somehow that whatever comes our way, whatever hits us, we want to get through and we still want to have a faith in God. Whatever shaking we go through, we still want to come through the other side. It's not as if we want to lose faith. We just want to come through the other side. But when life does hit us and hits us hard, we do waver, we do shake, we do struggle. And if we're honest, we wonder where God is. But as I said, most believers I have ever met that have gone through incredibly difficult times, they all want to say at the end, yet I will still praise you. See, what happened to this man that enables him? What happens here that enables him to take such a journey? This is an incredible few verses. The words of a man who has learned to trust God despite uncertainty, despite living in the face of difficulties. His community is about to be ravaged by the Babylonians because of their sin, and he still trusts. This is an incredible desolation that was about to happen. And he says, I will wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who will attack us. How does he manage to do it? See, Habakkuk is looking forward to a terrible day that is yet to come. But Beyond this, he is looking through the judgment, he is looking through the pain, he is looking through the heartache, and he is looking through to the, the sorrow to a place that is the other side of what God is going to do. And he says, I'm going to see through these current difficulties, and I'm still going to praise you. He had made a journey from lament to trust. He had made a journey from questioning to trusting. But by saying this, I don't believe that Habakkuk stops asking questions. I just think that he is asking them with a different heart. He's asking them with a different tone of voice. And I, some, I, something I think that is very important to note and to consider as us, as for us as Christians is there is a huge difference in questioning God and indicting Him. He is not on trial. He is not in the dock. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he has made us his people. And I believe that we have to be very careful sometimes in the tone of voice that we speak back to God. And we see that, I believe that, we'll see that Habakkuk has learned what this looks like. God is not on trial in our lives. You see, Habakkuk has stopped putting God in the dock and stopped asking him with an indictment in his voice. Perhaps we all need to hear that. I don't for one second believe that Habakkuk is happy with every answer he gets. I know he's not. Or he, I don't believe he understands entirely every response and answer he gets from God. You see, for Habakkuk to come to that place, for all of us to come to that place, that day will only come when we see Jesus face to face, whether it be when he comes or whether he takes us into eternity. And until then, we will have questions and we will have questions that are not answered and we will not have all the information that we need. And this is the journey he has made, a journey from accusing to trusting God, a journey when these 
questions have now become a genuine part of an open, vulnerable, real, transparent faith. I don't think there's any hiddenness in this guy. I think over these three chapters, over this period of time of writing, something has been done in his life that he is completely open and vulnerable to God. You know, we must be very careful that in our approach to God and in our questioning, we need to say, but we don't say to God that you need to justify yourself to me. We don't have to have any explanation for anything that God does in our life. It's tough stuff, Habakkuk. It really is tough stuff. That's why we need the Old Testament, we need the New Testament. The two go together in a relationship with a creator God who is awesome, but he is also all-powering, and sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers. Sometimes we wouldn't say this, but sometimes we live our life, well, I need every answer before I will trust you. Well, you will never trust him. You're not going to get all the answers. We know that trusting God does not mean that we believe everything will go the way we want it to. If this were true, those of us who follow God would be the most enviable people on earth. Everything would go our way, and obviously it doesn't. And so therefore, we aren't. See, believers living in some part of the world are literally murdered for their beliefs. Good people who do nothing wrong. Other people lose their lives and their livelihood for their faith. Others are mocked and belittled for the same. And we have to be very careful that we hold in tension what God is doing in our life in the light of what he is doing across the world and other situations. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. And a lot of the most godly characters in the Bible suffered tremendously. God did, not, did, God did perform miracles, but he did not miraculously protect all of his people all the time from everything. Joseph wrongly accused of rape and spent a year's languishing in a prison for nothing. Ruth, a young woman, lost her husband and became a poor peasant in a foreign land. I wonder what her questions were to God. All but one of Jesus' closest friends were tortured and murdered for talking about him. And the one that survived was banished to an isolated island in old age. Trust in God does not mean that he will explain everything that is going on in our life. God didn't answer Job when he asked, why me? God doesn't owe us an explanation when life is painful and life is confusing, when bad things happen, really, really bad things happen. Many of us are tempted to ask why. Some of us may get a kind of answer, but some of us may not. Some of us never get those answers to those questions. This is what Habakkuk is all about. I would encourage you to keep asking questions because you may get an answer to your question, or you may get an insight. And if you do, absolutely wonderful. But it is not a guarantee for us as believers. So back here in Habakkuk, how do I know that this is where he lands? Well, because in verse, seven, in verse 17, it is full of both uncertainty and assurance. Assurance, uncertainty, held in tension. He says words like this, even if, even though, 
even if the produce, even though the flock, even if everything fails, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He holds this wonderful tension. He is not saying everything is going to be fine. He is not saying it's going to be an easy walk before God. But he says, no matter what happens, I have come to a place where I can trust you. He has learned what it is to have faith in God despite everything that is going on around him. And I want to make three very simple observations from these last few verses as we wrap up this book of Habakkuk. First of all, that life is about, that faith amongst fruitful, fruitlessness is an important lesson for us to learn. Faith amongst fruitlessness. When nothing seems to be going right around us, we are still faithful. That we rejoice in the ruins of life. And that we come to a declaration of ultimate deliverance in the desert. However, before we get stuck into those three aspects, there's something that I want to do, as it were, to paint a picture, to paint a backdrop to the words that he speaks through Habakkuk that really heightens the importance and really heightens the words that he is saying. And I want to look at Habakkuk's use of the words and images around fig trees and the vine. For us as Westerners, we just read that, it says, oh, fig trees and vines, vines and fig trees. There's herds, there's those things. It's like they're just fig trees and vines. But you see, fig trees and vines for the Jewish people were and are a profoundly important image of God's faithfulness to them as the people of Israel. And we're just going to go around some verses to paint a picture of what, in reality, is Habakkuk is saying against this backdrop. They appear all across the whole of the Old Testament as images of God's words to humanity, and especially God's words to this people, the people of Israel. The things that are devastated here, fig trees, olive trees, vines, herds, are all used in the context of the Old Testament on more than one occasion to speak of the sense of utter desolation that could fall on a Jewish community. That is the worst thing in their culture that could happen to them. Joel chapter 1 verses 10 and 12 says this, the fields are devastated, the ground mourns and the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil fails. Be dismayed, you farmers, wail, you vine dressers, over the wheat and the barley, for the crops of the field are ruined, the, wine, the vine withers, the fig tree droops. Pomegranate, palm, and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely joy withers away amongst the people. That's quite profound. Compare that to what we have already said. This is completely opposite to what Habakkuk is saying. He says, although the fig tree, although the fig tree, the biggest symbol of God's commitment to us as a people, doesn't blossom, yet will I rejoice. You see, because the natural reaction when these things happened is for joy to go. It is supernatural for joy to remain in the midst of devastation. It is supernatural for faith to stay strong when the desert is all around. This tells us that this type of faith truly only comes from God and the intimacy and the closeness and the depth of our relationship with him, the ability to stand in the midst of the storm, the ability 
To stand in the midst of fruitlessness and to stand in the desert only comes from him and being with him. These words of utter desolation, like we'll read some more. Here in Jeremiah 5, 17, give us an insight into how incredible Habakkuk's words are. Jeremiah says these words, they shall eat up your harvest and your food. They shall eat up your sons and your daughters. They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees. They shall destroy, they shall destroy with a sword your fortified cities in which you trust. You see, the fig trees and the vine, as I said, are incredible symbols of God's grace and mercy. They have become synonymous with Israel. You see, in the creation narrative, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, in the creation story where Adam and Eve fall, the only tree that it names in this Garden of Eden is the tree that from which the leaves come from to provide covering for the nakedness and the shame of Adam and Eve. And it's from the fig tree. <laughs> Deuteronomy 8, as the children of Israel walk into the promised land, this is how it's described to them. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with, with flowing streams, with springs and underground waters, welling up in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat bread without scarcity, where you will lack nothing, a land where whose stones are iron, and from the hills you may mine copper. This is incredible imagery that he is using here. One more to give us some idea of what the backdrop to what Habakkuk is saying to his people and he is saying to us. There's a little verse in Kings, 1 Kings 4 verse 25, that describes the time during the reign of King Solomon. It says this, during Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba, lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. Even though all this will wither, may wither, may bring complete desolation, Habakkuk says, I will yet rejoice in God. This fig tree idea in Habakkuk is synonymous with God's faithfulness. In a, I'll just throw a few more in. It's, pick it up in the New Testament. Jesus calls Nathaniel, who is sitting under a fig tree. In Mark 11, it is a fig tree that Jesus curses. And in Matthew 24, it is a sign of the times. Throughout the Bible, as I said, it is a symbol of God's faithfulness. You know, I think that what Habakkuk does is that he stands in the midst of uncertainty that surrounds him and all that is about to come and says this, if everything fails. Now, those are easy words to say, and we'll come back to those in a moment, but he has now painted a phenomenal backdrop that says, basically, if my world comes to an end, if I have no fig trees, if I have no vines, he says, even if everything fails, if everything breaks, then I will still praise and trust you. He has learned faith amongst fruitlessness. You know, we cannot ignore the incredible imagery that this author is using here. So what does faith in the middle of fruitlessness mean? I want us to note 
that some of the things that he's mentioned here, all of them, vines, fig trees, olives, herds, cattle, all are physical and material things. They are the important things of GDP, the gross the domestic product. These are agricultural things. These are financial things. These are things on which the economy and lives depend. You know, and he says, even if that is gone, it still doesn't mean that God has abandoned us and that we need to be worried. We can discover faith amongst fruitlessness when we remember that anything and everything could happen to us, but God will never walk away from us. See, the New New Testament tells us that Jesus has promised that he will be with us. You know, Hebrews says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is either telling us the truth or he isn't. The Bible is either the inspired and infallible word of God and Jesus doesn't lie or it isn't and he does. Those words again, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, Habakkuk didn't have the words of Jesus or the New Testament, but he does have the words of the Father of the Father echoing in his ears and in his heart and in his soul. But faith in the midst of fruitlessness can come to us when we remember that even when we feel that God is absent, that he's not. Even when life looks unfair, even when life not only looks unfair, but is unfair. Even when bad things happen, even when the inexplicable knocks on our door and tries to drag us away, God remains present. Habakkuk, so powerful. Faith amongst fruitlessness is looking at the circumstances of our life. Even when these circumstances point away from God, from his grace, and away from his mercy, And we hold on to something deeper because in the end, where else can we go? Where else can we go? What else is there in this world that can offer what Jesus offers us? And sometimes we need to have that reality check that even though he may seemingly not be near us, he will never, ever leave us. There are some of us sitting here today and the idea that you should keep rejoicing and celebrating, clapping and singing with a smile in your face through what you've had to walk through for maybe five or six years or five or six months or even these last five or six days is not just difficult, it is preposterous because lives, many here have been fraught with heartbreak, marked with danger and difficulty and sorrow, walking through some of the darkest days that people will ever experience. Here is the word of the Lord to us. Even in the darkness, I am there. Even when you don't feel me, I am there. It's okay to call out to me. Okay to ask questions. You know, it's okay to shout and be uncertain because I am still your God and I will not leave you. I think Paul, the apostle, really gets it. This is one of, one of the most classic passages of Scripture, but he understands this profoundly when he's writing to the church of Rome, and he wants them to understand something. And he says here in Romans 8, 31, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Will he not... Will he not with him also give us everything else? 
Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Habakkuk, Paul understands something of the enormity of God's commitment to us. You see, the lie that the enemy of our souls sows into our hearts and into our mind when we go through sorrow and difficulty is that God has walked away. Perhaps we may not articulate it like that, but we would say, God, where are you? Where are you? A sense of isolation and abandonment and being in this on our own that we feel that we have been dragged away from God's presence and his grace. If any of us are in such a dark place today, this is not a place for guilt or saying you have to work harder or pray harder or fast harder or do anything harder. See, the word of the Lord is that in this fruitless, barren season and we cannot see him and we may not see him and we may not feel him, God is still there because he never, ever walks away from his people. See, Habakkuk reaches the place not because he stopped asking questions, but because he began to ask and be honest about his own feelings and what was going on in his own heart. He came to, his, his, came to a place where his relationship with God was not a politically correct one, but was profoundly open and vulnerable. And he talked, and God listened, and God talked, and Habakkuk listened. See, there's no need to be ashamed of our questions, for even in the midst of our questions, God is present to hold and sustain us. You see, the Bible, we could pick multiple uh, verses. Psalm 13, Habakkuk 1, Revelation 6. God's people have always cried out to him. They've always said, how long, O Lord? You see, authentic faith isn't afraid of the question, but it gets to the place that Habakkuk got to, where Job got to, when he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And then he went on to say, even though you slay me, yet will I trust you. See, the honest thing for some of us, maybe most of us, if we are really honest, is that we don't have this type of faith. I don't have this type of faith at all. We may present as if we have this faith, but if we don't know we have this type of faith until we find ourselves that we have lost everything. And it is only when we walk through the darkest shadows that we can honestly say that God is enough. But somehow God carries us through, giving us small indications of his presence and of his mercy. A doctor or a nurse who smiles at us or someone who greets us by saying, how lovely it is to see us, and they mean it. Or a friend who sends us a text 
asking how we are doing and saying that we were thinking of you. Someone who takes us for a coffee and they pay the bill, or a blood count that's been changed, or an encouraging visit to the doctor, or maybe a verse that jumps out on us from our daily reading. Not very spectacular in other people's eyes, but to us, to you and me, when we are in the darkest days, small, they are small indicators that God is still with us and that he will carry us through the storm. Let's not dismiss these small things because this is his way of saying, I will not abandon you. I will not leave you. I am there. I am still there. They may be nothing to someone else, but you and me, we know that they mean a lot. This is why Habakkuk is able to say in verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. Faith amongst fruitlessness. As we move to the place where we can rejoice in the ruins. But here we have a picture of a man. It's not even the picture of a man. It was the reality for him. He is standing with impending doom weighing heavily on his shoulders. He says this, I am making a decision of my will. I am lifting my eyes from my circumstances. I, am look, I will look away from what is happening to me and I will exalt in the God of my salvation. This is what's happening in my life. And I'm not denying that. This is not just wishful thinking or mind over matter or not dealing with reality. This is real. But I am going to lift my head and I am going to exalt the God of my salvation. The only way it is possible to rejoice in the midst of difficult circumstances is to lift our eyes off the circumstances. And how can this be done? Well, when Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he says in chapter 3, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says again in chapter 4, verse 4, as if he wants to say it again and again and again. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. See, I think that part of our problem with this matter is that we have a wrong idea of what biblical rejoicing is all about. Somehow we've equated it with being, I don't know, happy, clappy, or trying to be bubbly, or trying to be something that we're not. Or we have this political correctness, even as Christians, when we're asked, how are things going? We say, oh, we're fine, when they're not. And we perhaps don't even admit to our own sin and the own darkness of our own heart. And perhaps we say things that are not perhaps really true, but we don't want people to really know what we're going through, or perhaps what we are really like. See, I believe that a biblical picture of rejoicing is we are standing before a situation with our hearts are breaking and saying, God, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to turn away from who you are. Although everything within me wants to doubt you, wants to say you're not there, wants to walk away from you, I'm not going to do it because I know who you are. I believe that biblical rejoicing is lying prostrate on the ground, sobbing our eyes out, saying, God, you have got to carry me through this. Because if you don't, there is no way through. This is biblical worship. A biblical picture of rejoicing is acknowledging that right now, God, I don't know where you are. I can't see you. I have no felt reality of you in my life as of this moment. But I'm going to build my life on your word. It is a choice of the will. 
that in the ruins of sorrow and heartbreak, of uncertainty and betrayal, <laughs> maybe a financial challenge, of infidelity and broken trust, or whatever it has been over the years and months, and maybe it is right now today, that even in the midst of ruins, I am on my knees and I'm declaring that I will rejoice in you. This is what rejoicing is. It is making a decision that says, I'm going to build my life around God despite the circumstances. See, no one says it's easy, and I don't know if it's even possible to do in our own strength. I don't think it is. But God promises us the gift of faith. Let's go back to one of those key verses that we saw oh, maybe a couple of weeks ago when we were on part three. Verse four of chapter two says this, look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by faith. What is faith? We know it's the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not yet seen. Faith is holding on to a promise, is holding on to a conviction when all the evidence points away, when life is in ruins, that there is a better day coming, that God is a good God, and should that better day be on the other side of eternity and not here on earth, God is still good, and I will trust him. Habakkuk prophesied all these things. He never saw the restoration of his people. I just want us to read that passage again and just pick up something on it. It says, though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. Don't those words sound somewhat familiar? Don't you think that you've read them somewhere else? I'll tell you where it is. It's in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47, where Mary is echoing the, the sentiment of Habakkuk. She has just discovered that she is pregnant and she is carrying the Son of God. And the echo is this, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament, if not the whole of Scripture, about trust. In uncertain and chaotic times, this young girl sees something that most people don't. She has an incredible gift of faith that says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I want to live like that. I want to live like that. You see, I don't think I could have responded like this. In fact, I'm pretty well sure I couldn't. Can you imagine? Some of you will be able to imagine this. How would, it, how would you react if your teenage daughter came home and said, Dad, I'm expecting a baby, but it's okay. It's God's. I would say to her, there's one of us is from another planet, sweetheart, and it's not me. <laughs> Dad, I'm expecting a baby, and it's God. I definitely would not have responded like this. My soul magnifies in the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I would have been mad, and I would have got a shotgun. <laughs> See, the sheer impossibility of it, and this young girl gets to a place where she is able to trust in God. Her ruins looked different to Habakkuk's, 
but they were still ruins. Often when God intervenes in our lives, our plans are turned upside down. We have everything in control, everything as, is as we want it. Then God allows something to happen and everything turns to ruins. You see, it may be that the prayer we have prayed for years and God says, I'm not going to answer it the way that you want. He may say, I'm answering it even with a no. It's hard to get through such situations and still say, I will trust you. The thing that we have longed for, for breakthrough, we have yearned, and it doesn't come. See, Habakkuk, this great book, is all about these situations where our lives don't turn out the way that we want them to. They don't happen as we have planned, and everything is going in a direction that we don't want them to. It's yet in the midst of these ruins, we say, I will rejoice, not in my circumstances, but in my God, in his love, his steadfastness, his kindness, his character, and his mercies. If we continue to look at our circumstances, they will destroy us. If we build our lives around the immediacy of what we want to happen right now, it will consume us. The only thing that really matters is to fix our eyes on Jesus, and out of it, faith will come out of fruitlessness, and we will rejoice in the ruins. And we start to conclude. Then we say, come to that declaration of trust in verse 19. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. I made a real terrible confession this morning, and um, you know that Don is really into... Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings and we're in the country of the Lord of the Rings, isn't it? Everywhere you turn, Middle Earth. I can't stand Lord of the Rings. I just don't get it. I'm just thinking, I, I am complete, I'm sorry. It's like Middle Earth, who cares? I have enough problems in the real world, let alone some other place that I don't think even exists. But I confessed it this morning. I still think I have a job, but only just. And you know, I got a, some of my family members are really into it, and I'm thinking, oh, shoot me now. I told a story about, oh, when not all the films were out. I don't even know how many films there were out. But Ben is really into them. My son is really, really into them. And I just thought, I'm going to be such a good dad here. You know all the stuff you read about spending quality time with your son? We always do, but we decided... This Saturday, we're going to sit down about 10 o'clock and watch all the films and go through them beginning to end. And I was thinking, this is going to be really good. After 20 minutes, I was bored out of my mind. <laughs> and after about 30 minutes, when I had asked him so many questions, he pushed pause. And he said, Dad, a couple of things here. I know you love me. And you know that I love you. And you know that we have a good, solid, sound relationship. And we spend lots of good times together, and this was a really, really good thing that you wanted to do, but can you leave? <laughs> I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and I went, and we still have a good relationship. He was happy, and I was happy. Why do I reference this? Well, you see, as, as your pastors, as your leaders, we can't take your problems, we can't take your heartbreak, we can't take your sorrows. We can't carry them for you. But in the words, and this is the relevant bit, from Sam to Frodo, someone told me, which is completely irrelevant, that they think it's in book three. And they are on the edge of Mount Doom as Frodo is trying to get rid of the ring 
that he is carrying, Sam says, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you and it as well. There's an awful lot of talk about church community and that we don't need it, that we don't need to be part of church or we don't need to be part of a gathered people. I just think a lot of it is just completely wrong. See, because there are times I need you to carry me and there are times you need me to carry you. Like Sam said to Frodo. See, God the Lord is my strength and we don't always feel like it. But when you are a part of a community, when someone else can help, it makes a difference. That's why we need each other. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. You see, God gives Habakkuk strength to stand. He makes my feet like those of a deer with the ability to climb, he says. He sets my feet on high places. Have you ever prayed, and I'm sure we all have, we've prayed something like this, Lord, help my faith grow. Help me to trust you. Help me to be strong in you. Help me to move forward in faith. Then difficulty, uncertainty, and challenge comes along, and we say, Lord, can you get, out, get me out of this? Can you move? Can you change these situations? We pray on one hand, and then we pray on the other when difficulty comes away. It's when God wants to instill into us, when he wants to put our feet on high places and to train us, because that is how a foal learns. They go to high places, they fall, they trip, they pick themselves, and they go back up. They have to do this maybe dozens and dozens of times, but it's going through difficulties and hard times that allows them to stand on high places. It's not because they haven't fallen or haven't had difficulties. It's because they have fallen and had difficulties that they are able to keep on going. He wants to do the same thing in us and to us. Musicians, please. In 1945, in the German city of Cologne, as the Allied forces were clearing the city, on the wall of a cellar, they found the following. We don't know who wrote it, despite what you read on Google, but it was probably a Jewish person hiding from the hellishness of the Nazi attacks on the Jews in Europe. We don't know if they survived or died in the melee and the confusion at the end of World War II, but this is what they had written. I believe in the sun even when it is not shining, and I believe in love even when there's no one there. And I believe in God, even when he is silent. I believe through any trial, there, will always, there is always a way. But sometimes in this suffering and hopeless despair, my heart cries for shelter, to know someone's there. But a voice rises within me saying, hold on, my child, I'll give you strength. I'll give you hope. Just stay a little while. I believe in the sun. That's just part of it. It's quite long. I encourage you to go and read it. This is faith amongst fruitfulness, fruitlessness. This is rejoicing in the ruins. This is trust. This is the ultimate deliverance when all is going wrong. I pray that something of what we've been able to look at in the book of Habakkuk, something of his honesty, something of his openness, something of his transformation will speak to us. It will help us in our walk with God. 
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.